Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that that sounds right. Yeah. Okay. So that sounds right. Yeah, I recognize this as uh, something that I opened up last week. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. I'm Let's so see. glad memory's not the first thing to go. What is the first thing to go? Well, right, <laughs> right now I can't remember. <laughs> okay all right the balloon guy is going to do his thing again i I guess he's been doing his thing all along but uh, yeah um but what's this story here let's see now uh well he hasn't done it he hasn't done it um um well the article says since 2007 he's made no less than four public Cluster balloon flights, and I you really, you really got to come up with something other. Yeah, than it's the name balloon. that gets me. I mean, yeah, you just the like cluster, yeah. You just say yeah. the name, and it starts you down the wrong road, right yeah, there. Was, all right, yeah. you know. Uh-huh. But, uh, <laughs> it really does. So, any for any listeners who don't know that what the heck we're talking about here, all right? There's this guy. What's his name? Kent Couch, I guess. All right, Couch, right. And he takes a bunch of some, somewhat oversized balloons, but they're not your typical weather balloon either. They're sort of, you know, they they're look not like regular party balloons. They either. look like party balloons. But they're big. They're oversized. They're probably what would you call them? Four or five feet in diameter, or something like that. Each. Yeah, I'd like say that. four. Yeah, four yeah. feet or so. And they're heavy. They're heavy skin. Yeah. Right. And then he right. takes a bunch of them, and that's where the cluster comes in. Or he takes a bunch of them. All right. <laughs> right it's not the only place the cluster comes. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no. Well, okay. We'll come back to that. So uh, he takes a whole bunch of these, and he ties them uh, to. Uh, he says to a lawn chair. I guess he probably has a somewhat modified lawn chair, if it was ever a lawn chair. Um, and then he straps himself into this chair and, you know, lets loose whatever is ballast or whatever is holding him back and goes flying. And, uh, and, and about two years ago, we had a lot of fun with uh, anticipating one of these that was going to happen at Oshkosh. And then it actually happened the afternoon that we had our, our party at, at Oshkosh. And we had a chance to watch it in the distance as he mm-hmm. launched and floated across the grounds. And I don't re- know about you guys, but I recall being kind of impressed. It was like more scenic and interesting yeah. and and just kind of cool than i expected it to be yeah, uh, as i recall he he um got across the the lake michigan yeah he like landed in in uh it wasn't canada but it was it was uh upper yeah. peninsula or something michigan. I, was it the i thought it was the lower but yeah he went across the lake and they flew like all night long i mean yeah you, you know because he, he launched during our party which means it was sunset ish mm-hmm. and uh and and as the sun was setting, we saw him drifting off into the distance. And you, like you say, he went across Lake Michigan, and there was a website. It was one of these. I don't know. Yeah, you could was. you could track him online, right? As I and I remember I remember waking up in the middle of the night. It was like three o'clock in the morning, and for some reason, I was awake enough to think, I wonder where the balloon guy is. And so I went to my laptop, and uh, he was floating out over the middle of Lake Michigan at three yeah, o'clock in the morning. Yeah, you, you need to get help for that. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, you know, you need so, to talk uh, to somebody. He kept flying and he made it out into some place in Michigan or something like that. And it was pretty cool. And uh, I don't know whether that was some sort of record that day or, or, or what, but uh, it was it was a thing. It was more interesting. And, and I give it more more credence now than I did when we were first making Heaven Well, yeah. And the big deal about this next one is he's going to uh, attempt to set a record for a uh, <clears throat> big batch of balloon flight. <laughs> carrying two people <laughs> two people right okay a big batch of balloons let's call it that yeah big batch of balloons that's that's the title that's the episode title could big be batch. i'm writing it down right now <laughs> well uh, it, it, the cluster balloon thing is i always thought was kind of 
an attempt to give it a moniker that didn't associate it with the with lawn the lawn chair Larry Walters, right? mm-hmm. yeah. uh, who I, I interviewed back in '82, uh, I think it was when he did this. You know, he bought a heavy duty Sears uh, uh, a lawn chair and a bunch of heavy duty balloons and uh, a bunch of helium helium <laughs> easy for you to say a bunch of helium filled him up. Uh, took uh, some snacks and a pellet gun and promptly got into the LAX airspace and blown way out over the Pacific, where he was being reported by departing airline traffic, trans-Pacific traffic. Picture that in your mind. Your your, your, your big gang of balloon, your deck chair balloon, has just blown you quite a ways out over a big ocean. And he shot out some, and it came down, and he got blown back on shore. And was he? Well, he was featured in the '82 Darwin Awards. So, yeah. Uh, well, uh, but yeah, okay. That was Larry. That was Launcher Larry. This is this that was is Launcher Larry. This is Kent Couch, who who does it with a little bit more preparation and you know something. Oh, definitely more uh, uh, and and legit. That is, you know, he's got the proper paperwork for the aircraft, so it is. Uh, and it elevates it a, a step beyond the Danny <laughs> Deck chair. He's movie. got a receipt from Sears Roebuck. Come on, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> is that a real lawn chair or is that a Sears lawn chair? Yeah, really. Oh, no, no, that's an experimental amateur built lawn chair. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, all it, right. It, see, it was a really cute Aussie movie come out along this line. Well, where the main character disappears uh, uh, into the Australian outback. Flying a big bunch of balloon chair uh, lifting thing called Danny Deck Chair, which is if you if you want to see somebody make cute fun out of it, that, that that's a, it's a fun movie. Uh-huh. So, anyway, for Kent, uh, for for Mister Couch, wow. Uh, all I can say is uh, may all your balloons bloom. Well, yes, I, yeah, I, so. I, I agree. You know, I mean, we make fun at his expense, and, and uh, you know, in, in the in the pantheon of, of bad ideas, this is not near the top. No, no, no. This is <laughs> well, <laughs> but um, the second graph of this is, is of interest here too. Yeah, um, go ahead. So, so while he's doing while he's doing this, uh, and he's wants to set off. Uh, on July 14 from Bend, Oregon, and land somewhere in Montana. Um, the second graph of this story notes that he's connected up with um, uh, an Iraqi, apparently, and is there making plans to do one of these bunch of balloon flights over out of Baghdad. So you Baghdad, got, you know, I know, yeah. Out of Baghdad. I mean, so I think we've just wondered. You, no, no, I think we've yeah. strayed back into the lawn chair, Larry, you know, kind of okay, area. Couldn't, couldn't you pick a, um, I don't know, um, Paris maybe. Um, um, hey, gets a whole new nickname, the Baghdad balloonist. Ba- the, the big Baghdad bunch of balloons. <laughs> uh, um, so. B uh, B cubed beef beef to the fourth. I, um, okay, okay. I, I just want to note that for the record here. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, the the plan says the plan to Oregon to Montana flight will use about three hundred fifty specially made helium filled balloons. Whoa, that's uh, a lot. Carry of the two men. That's a that's a, to carry the two men uh, through the night. That's, that's a, a big of, bunch of balloons. That's a big bunch of of um, uh, blue balloons. Um, <laughs> oh, shades of John Lennon! I got the theme song. 
whatever gets you through the night. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, and for those of you it. trying to reverse engineer this in your brains, and you know, and you're sketching this out on your on your on your uh, on your notepad or, or on your, your your application on your smartphone or whatever, uh, to do the solo flight where he did about 235 miles between Bend and, 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 and points east, he used only 250 balloons. Ah, uh, okay. Well, there you go. So who's uh, making these balloons? Uh, I don't know, but it's got to be a gas working on it. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, and, and filling, too. Uh, um, so uh, on another... Wait, wait, so, well, how long does it take you to fill 350 helium balloons? And... Where do you put them until you're finished? You just kind of oh, all good stuff. Yeah, pre-flight preparation. I'd want a big hanger because you know, as you start adding balloons to this uh, to this rig, uh, it's going to catch more and more of whatever air is moving. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd want it, you know, weighted down and and like in the back of a big hanger. And then you can taxi it out. <laughs> just make sure that the couch. Make sure that the sofa. Is on casters, and it just, <laughs> then you can do your own rollout. You know? Like like the Goodyear blimp, it's got that one wheel that you know just pivots around. The, 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 exactly, um, exactly, exactly. Like they the teach in motorcycle yeah. school, you could power walk it out. Now another thing we got sent in by uh, listeners uh, or, or a listener is uh, uh, you know people are, it, we haven't actually had this. For, it, there was a period of time in this podcast where on a pretty regular p- basis people were trying to find airplanes that Dave wouldn't fly. All right. Um, and and we eventually learned that Dave will fly just about anything, all right, as long as somebody else has flown it first. I guess that's your basic rule, right, David? That, that that's one of them, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, so people sent sent this to me saying, well, I wonder if Dave will fly this, and I'm looking at it saying, sure, Dave will fly this, absolutely. This is an ultralight gyrocopter. It's actually a, a YouTube video, so Jeb, you may not be able to look at it. It's not going to happen right now. Yeah, um, it's uh, looks like a little bit of a, a, a older video of a. Uh, of a, a gyrocopter, auto gyro, hang glider. So there's no seat or engine or anything like that. You just you know kind of strap in and run. And in this particular video, the guy gets a a tow, a ground based tow from a truck or a car or something like that, and uh, and then goes flying and uh, flies the thing. Now, and you know, I mean, I don't know. I'm not big on auto gyros to begin with. All right, but uh, if I were, this doesn't seem all that crazy. This is a this is a you know, a foot-launched autogyro glider, right, David? This is no big deal. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, well, he's he he definitely's got density altitude working for him because it looks like it's colder than a well digger shovel there. Yeah, it does look like it's a snowy day. Uh, yeah. And wow, I uh, I'm stunned that he got this off the ground, but I think this has got to be powered lift. Well, no, it's being, he's being towed by a, he's getting a tow from a vehicle. Oh, he's getting a tow. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. No, 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 no. That, it does look that way at first. Um, and if you actually listen to the narration, um, one of the first things it points out is it may look like he's just launching, you know, running into the wind, but he's not. And, and if you watch a few seconds in, you, you can see the vehicle in the distance towing him. And, uh, and I think he releases, yeah, though, and then, and then glides for a while. And, uh, yeah, uh, as, as more of this rolls out, I'm going to, you know, get near the end of it and I, I see this shot up tight it's like well structurally boy it's uh right on the money uh flared to a landing look like uh you know normal hang gliding maneuvering uh i'd want to see for it to make sense to me yeah uh, 
I don't want to know that it could soar. Well, because otherwise, uh, I'm not sure what it's for. You can soar a 172. It's a matter of how much lift you you're going to find. Well, you, yeah, you can uh, in 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 the, the right conditions. Uh, so yeah, uh, well, it should fold up small, but I'm not sure it folds up any smaller than my sensor 510 or 710 or whatever. Uh, but wow, whatever floats your boat or whatever gets you through the flight. All right. Yeah, there you go. Whatever. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, uh, thanks to listener. Uh, I, I think I got this from a couple of listeners, but the one that really caught my attention was Nova Bandit in the forums uh, uh, gave us this link. And uh, um, it's not my kind of thing, but I have no doubt that Dave would fly it once he kind of checked it out and got some, it's got some, uh, you know, well, not dual, but got some training. And uh, Well, and I've done that kind of arrow towing. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you have, you know. Where, you, you know, Popped off beaches, launched off behind boats, uh, from a boat, uh, towed up behind ground vehicles where, you know, you ran across level ground for the first two or three steps as the tow vehicle accelerated and and you lift off and off you go. Uh, And the tow point is off the the hang glider pilot's harness Mm -hmm. because that eliminates the the wing from any part of the uh, connection to the vehicle. And let you move the wing around or your body around about the same as you would in free flight. I see. But real helpful to maintaining control and not having the speed of the tow vehicle suddenly lock you into an attitude that you don't want to be. Right. Do they make any effort to attach that tow line to some point that's sort of the center of mass of, you know? Yeah, actually, and that's the hang glider pilot. Uh, they tow off two points on the pilot's harness. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. Because you obviously uh, don't want to be pulling too low or too high. That would do bad that's things. A, I think that's a really bad idea. What? To be pulling on the pilot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and there, so. there, there's a little slippy bridle set up there. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that the tow line can actually move a little bit relative to the line that attaches it to the, to the pilot's harness. Did, did you actually say slippy bridle? <laughs> another title another title there it is hey on that note welcome yeah, use folks. that one yeah welcome folks episode 294 i think of uh, uncontrolled airspace <laughs> the general aviation <laughs> podcast <laughs> background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise That's yeah right. this That's is right. this is the best seat in the house right. we got skyriders now we got skyriders we got now. skyriders they, they now. Have, does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> <laughs> and you're on site clear west checky central ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and alpha recording this episode on uh, monday july tw- uh, 2 2012. I'm, again, I'm pretty sure. And uh, this episode kind of came together at the last minute. Uh, we were, uh, we were, uh, we we, we sched- the, way we, the way we do this. We, yeah. The way, we, the way we do this, we just schedule them, and then forget about it. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't yeah, usually forget you know, the phone about phone rings, it. and you're like, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's no, that's, do this. That's not usually what happens, but that is what happened today. Uh, we recorded last week's episode late in the week. 
and then for scheduling reasons, we had to record this week's episode early in the week. So it's been like a day and a half, I think, or two, three days since we recorded the episode. And uh, and I think we all thought we were recording the episode at, at, you know, we usually record in the evening at five or six this evening. And um, and I know that I was sitting here at my desk working and suddenly my Google Calendar's reminder pops up and says, in 30 minutes, you're recording the uncontrolled airspace. And I'm going... No, I'm not. And I'm looking, I said, oh, man, I am. But the only thing that made me feel a little bit better about this is that I first called Jeb and I said, are we recording this morning? And he was, you were clueless, too. Right. Well, I said, let me let me double check my calendar. Yeah, so okay. And then I texted David and I said, oh, I think we're, and he, and, and David confessed later that he had forgotten, too. So uh, this episode was on the verge of not happening at all. And uh, Well, it, it was a very strange. By the time it's over with, that may be a good thing. Well, you never know. You never know. David? It was a very strange and, and uh, asynchronous weekend uh, around uh, our, our hangar here. Uh, uh, didn't do – we did about half of the usual things that we do on weekends, but we did them at odd times and out of sequence. And for some strange reason, I never set foot in this office for the whole weekend. Oh, man, I hate it. Which is really, really, really rare. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And by the way, let me see if I can get this out. That's Dave Higdon talking, and he's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Where? So did you get any of this weird weather that the middle of the country got, David? Apparently the, the central co- central eastern coast is like got hammered with power outages and all kinds of craziness. Did no, that- no. We've, j- we've just been in sizzle mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, not for shizzle mode. No, that's that's right, Snoop no, yeah. Dogg stuff. Uh, sizzle mode. Yeah, because uh, we were into the the last third of June was kind of dominated by triple digit temperatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today, uh, boy, we're getting a real cold snap. It's supposed to only go to ninety seven. Uh, before it goes back into triples tomorrow and for the rest of the week. So yeah. we will definitely have a hot Fourth of July. Yeah. Yeah. And also out there is Jeb Burnside talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How you doing, Jeb? I'm good. Uh, not nearly as hot uh, down here. Um, yeah, the weather just is, is odd you know, this it's, year. It's like know, we're, we're still recovering. Well, I, we're fully recovered, I would think, from Debbie. Um, uh, it's all the here, rain that you guys got. Yeah, here locally. I mean, we still have some standing water in places and, and, and low spots and things like that. But uh, the river, we, we run our flood, flood warning for a few days. Uh, the river behind me, uh, the quote hidden river, unquote. Right. And, um, Did it ever approach going over that that levee? That no, I was down there a few days ago, supposedly at the at the at the height or the peak of the flow, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was definitely swollen, but it was you know five six feet below um, the levee. Mm-hmm. Uh, wasn't any dangers there, uh, and it's gone down substantially since then. Yeah. So, so it seems uh, like the ideal. it seems like the temperatures there are not as high as I. No, they're not. We, we'll we'll expect low nineties today, and that's normal for this time of year. And is it very it's, humid too, or it's a little humid? I think that this morning I think it said eighty eight percent humidity or something like that. But all things considered, isn't that bad mm-hmm. for this time of year in Florida? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yesterday was a very nice day. Looking for another very nice day today. So. Yeah. I mean, as everybody, many people know, I've been visiting in the winters for a couple of years now. And, and strangely, I really do want to visit in the summertime to see what this kind of hot, humid Florida is like. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm kind of curious how that, that how that will be because well, we get hot and humid up here. hot humid Wichita because it's 70 percent humidity here right now. So that's nothing. That, that 97, well, for these folks, 
Uh, speaking as yeah, a transplant, I'm in yeah. the same boat with you, Jeb. Uh, you know, I yeah. lived in D.C., grew up in the Ohio River Valley. Uh, 70, they'd be touting how the humidity was down. Right. Uh, but here, it's uh, significantly above the norm. And uh, I expect it to be quite the conversation topic over the, through the week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, oh, by the way, I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm coming to you from high atop Lookout Point in Nottingham, New Hampshire, where it's... Look out! Yeah, look out! Um, uh, Sebring, the, uh, the LSA show, the, the light sport uh, show in January each year down in Sebring, Florida, uh, has announced some sort of improvements for 2013. Uh, is either of you up to speed on this story? What, what are the nature of the improvements? Do we know? Oh, they're... Uh supposed to be rearranging how the 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 whole physical plot is laid out really and uh yeah to make it a little more uh walker friendly and access to the uh aircraft and that's weird it's not all that walker unfriendly to begin with it's 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 pretty well laid out yeah i thought it's been you know it go ahead david i'm sorry we interrupted you what else that's okay uh and they're they're i think they're trying to raise the profile a little bit and do a little bit more partnership with some other events uh, mm-hmm. to cross-pollinate their presence, if you will, their their visibility, uh, which is all good for the exhibitors who come to Sebring to show uh, when, you know, you get it, the, the, the event's existence. I'm sure most people in aviation have heard of it. How many of them have paid attention to it? If you're interested in light sport, probably 90% or better. Uh, if you're part of that 30% that still hadn't got caught on to the idea, probably not at all. Yeah. Um, it's just good to see them, you know, this far out uh, are be already being actively engaged in, in uh, uh, working on the visibility and the, uh, the uh, benefit mm-hmm. of being at that show. Yeah. Uh, it shows uh, that their head's in the right place because this yeah. isn't run by – a big organization, a big membership organization. This kind of grew up out of the the town and the airport's efforts and the efforts of the the uh, light sport community on its own. Yeah, and they're doing a nice job, I think. I mean, I, I've been now what two or three years in a row, and uh, and and I enjoy it. I you know, I mean, it, it, as a northerner, it's also a nice respite from the winter to sneak away and get down there for a week or so. But uh, but and the, you just love anything that lets you use the word respite. <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> but. The show is stands alone. I mean, that's it's, it's a really nice little growing show. It's getting bigger and bigger. Um, in for my for my taste, I'd like it to be a little bit bigger. Uh, you can kind of do it. I mean, if you really go at it, you can do it in a day. All right, and I guess that's okay. But I, I'd like it to be kind of a two day show. Um, and uh, I don't know if it has very much of a of a camping. You know, like like Sun and Fun and, and Oshkosh have a big. You know, come people come in their motorhomes and motor homes and uh, you know camp out and that kind of thing. And I don't have a sense that Sebring does that. Uh, maybe I'm mistaken, but uh, you know, I don't know that they do. Um, there are enough hotel rooms in the area with the racetrack next door. Yeah, there's, well, that's that, true. Uh, I, I don't know that they need to promote camping, but uh, yeah, it's it's a great little show. And I'm just looking at some of the press releases here on there on the Sport Aviation Expo um, uh, website. Uh, they're creating a lot of partnerships and a lot of sponsorships that I don't recall seeing in the past. Um, Can you give me an example or two? Well. Um, Let's see. Uh, In Flight USA is an immediate sponsor for 2010. 
um, Trader Plane is going to re-up as, as a media partner. Uh, for I said 20, 2010, I meant 2013. Um, AOPA, or Aircraft Owner Online, excuse me, uh, returning media sponsor. Um, but um, um, FADA, the uh, Florida Aviation Trades Association, uh, is coming in with some generous support. They're, they're, they're lining up. Uh, um, a lot of things here for for 2013 that uh, I, I just don't necessarily recall uh, having been in the cards last time, last few times. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. Yeah. I don't. Know. Yeah. So here, here's another here's another uh, um, um, note dated. Um, well, that's for that's for 11. Never mind. Um, um, that's, but uh, yeah, I mean, the show's coming together. Yeah. We, we talked about this, you know, where I think we all felt that the. The show had kind of hit its stride uh, mm -hmm. this last go around, and uh, um, things worked smoothly. Um, um, the, uh, attendance was up, exhibitors were down, but that's just a reflection of the economy and, right. and, and the way the market's shaken out. And, and, and the, uh, the, the exhibitors uh -huh. were there, seemed to be doing well. They were all upbeat uh -huh. and claimed that they were selling stuff and uh, right. talking to a lot of customers. And uh, so, anyways, the. Uh, well, I, I got a charge out of seeing the uh, note from the, uh, from the uh, folks at, uh, at Sebring about the uh, new uh, media partner or well, uh, renewed media partner for uh, Sebring uh, Light Sport and Ultralight Flying Magazine, uh, which, when it was my employer, was known as Glider Rider. Oh, that's uh, okay. Yep. And seeing, uh, seeing my old boss, Tracy Canoss, uh, and, and getting more engaged and in, in, uh, the magazine staff getting more engaged and trying to reignite uh, uh, what made that magazine great and made it... Uh, a must-read back in its early days. I think it still covers the waterfront fairly well, and uh, it's good to see that they're they're active. They're getting more engaged and kind of uh, putting some spark to their Jones a little bit. So, uh, yeah, it's all good stuff. I think for the for the light sport community. Yeah, I know. I heard it too, Jeb. What were you yeah. going to say? Spark to the Jones. Spark to the Jones, huh? He's also full of nautical references this morning. I think he needs to kind of redo his his, his you know. I think the heat's getting. To his it. catalog of of metaphors need to become a little bit more aeronautical, not so much nautical, you know. But, and, but how many of them overlap? A lot of them overlap. I know. Yes, I know. Yeah. A lot of them overlap. Isn't that so, isn't that the, the kind of the goal behind creating a metaphor? <laughs> oh, like, uh, well, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Okay, all right. Uh, yeah, it's not a uh, English literature podcast. It's a, or it's not a. That's not the right word. Yeah. Entomology is that words or is that bugs? Et, et, entomology is bugs. Etymology is words. etymology. Right. Thank you very much. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyways, listener question. We got a we got a question from listener. Uh, I think it's from Aviation Junkie. Uh, he sent this to me by way of Twitter. He asks, do, do you have a preferred headset? Uh, headsets are one of those, I get the feeling the headsets are one of these things that, that is just like, you know, it depends is Jeb's answer, right? It's going to be, it depends. Uh, because everybody has their own favorite. There's, you know, there's, there's, uh, 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 you know, noise reduction and active noise reduction and passive noise reduction. And there's, headphones that go over the ear and there's headphones that go in the ear and there's you know headsets rather and uh so it's uh what do you guys fly with i fly with 
Uh, oh, d- go ahead, d- Jeb. Yeah, Jeb. No, 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 Dave, go ahead. Seriously. Yeah, really, because nobody wants to go first. No, no, no. I, I, I have kind of a, a tale. I want to. I want to hear Dave's tale. Okay, first. David, you go first. Well, I've, I've got two, two sets of uh, two different types of active noise reducing headsets. Uh, one's a bunch of old passive. A couple of sets of passive uh, David Clark's that uh, I purchased kits for to convert to ANR. A number of years ago, and they actually work really well when the ANR is on, but because of what you have to do to them to install the kits, their passive noise reduction is really horrible. I mean, way less than before the conversion. Oh, so okay. it's like you never want to be without power for those puppies because it's uh, almost as bad as not wearing headsets at all. What does the conversion do to them that causes the passive reduction to be diminished? You take the old speaker units out and the old electronics out of the shell and the sound insulation that makes up the bulk of the shell as they come from the factory. And you put in a little less insulation and these large electronic uh, uh, modules, if you will, Mm -hmm. that have two speakers and a microphone. Right. Makes sense. Yep. One of those speakers is for the uh, the the radio and intercom audio, and the other one is uh, there to work with the anti noise system. And then the microphone is what picks up the background noise, right. and creates the counter noise to, that cancels out the, the right. ambient. Right. So they the, work really well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's what it, was my next question. So the, but, the when you turn it oh, on, yeah. it works well. Yeah. Works really well. Are, are, uh, is a, you can get a power plug converter, so you never have to run on batteries. You can plug it into the airplane if you want is a civilian able to do the conversion or do you need to get somebody to do it for you well i did two of them here Mm -hmm. i did them i did them myself the first one took me three hours uh but i was photographing the process along the way uh the second one took me 30 minutes Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, because there was a whole lot of measure twice cut once measure three times solder once stuff yeah. going on right uh to make sure that all the wiring worked i've got a vu meter making sure that the wire i'm supposed to be soldering is the one that's uh, connected to that part of the jack or and so forth right so the second one real really fast i also have a set of uh sennheisers uh that run on uh four double a batteries and they'll run for about 20 hours 20-odd hours on four AA batteries. Uh, they are really good. Their audio quality is just, it, it's beautiful. Uh, and I plug music into it occasionally because they're, they're, they're damn good as just music headsets. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only downside to them is the, for some people that have worn them, the clamping pressure is a little high. Mm-hmm. I think I have a narrower head. It doesn't bother me as much. Uh, and to close out on something, headsets are very personal. It's like, you know, socks and underwear. You know, different right. people like different things. Uh, and I find some of the most popular A&R headsets out there to be really great, but their ear cups don't fit my ears well. Hmm. So they get uncomfortable after mm-hmm. about a half hour. Even though the clamping pressure is okay, something about the shape and the design and the taper and uh, yeah, they work great. And for people with different ears, they got to be great. Yeah. Uh, and I'd like to try some of the in-ear ones because I think that'd be just mm-hmm. hot stuff. Well, we actually tried those a couple of years ago. Do you recall that uh, on one of the times that we did the uh, podcast from the deck at EAA Radio? The headsets, uh, yeah, 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 that they had for us were the um, oh, what was the brand? I'm blanking. Um, um, I think those are I think those are Sennheisers also. It's uh, 
Clarity Aloft, I thought they were. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, Clarity Aloft headsets with the little uh, earbuddy kind of thing that, that sticks in your ear and blocks out. Um, and I think there's some active noise reduction in there, too. I'm not positive of that, but there certainly is a lot of passive noise reduction. Well, there are some active noise reduction uh, in-ear headset systems that require you to make molds of your inner right. ear yeah. or no, these, your outer ear. These weren't that. These were just had little replaceable uh, earbud kinds of things that uh, that went over the uh, the ear, you know, the earphone part and then went into your ear. I found them very comfortable and uh, we were in a fairly noisy environment and they seemed to work pretty good. So, I don't know. That's that's the only test case I've got for those. I know a handful of people who swear by them though who love those Clarity Lofts. I fly. I confess that I have never upgraded my headsets to active noise reduction, and that's probably foolish of me. But it has to do with being cheap. Um, <laughs> I there, I there is the title. It has to do with doing. <laughs> yeah. Cheap. Okay. I fly. Uh, I have a pair of. Uh, I actually have two brands. I have the David Clark's that I bought way back when. That I just. Well, I'll talk about the David Clark's in a second, and then I have some flight comms that I bought um, over the years. And uh, I kind of go back and forth between the two brands. I, I they they are kind of you know equally good in my mind. The the thing that I have my thing is that I can't get past the idea that you know real pilots fly David Clark's. All right, that's the look, the green distinctive David well, Clark headset you know, look is to me that's it's interesting. You I see, like that. I don't, look. I don't mean. Let's, let's, I don't mean to interrupt. Let's come back. No, no, that's all I have wanted to say. So those are the headsets that I fly, uh, and uh, and I probably ought to upgrade to some Flightcom or David Clark ANRs, but I, I'd rather spend that money flying than than on headsets. You know, I do enjoy the the ANRs that I, I wear when I fly with friends like yours, Jeb. So, what's your story, Jeb? Well, first off, the um, used to be any television program or even a movie that featured uh, an in-aircraft scene of some kind, the headsets being worn were always DCs, always David Clark's. Right. Yep. That now, telltale it, green every time. That, 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 that uh, I call it David Clark green. Um, and uh, nowadays, if you, if you watch, you know, Flying Wild Alaska or, or um, um, Ice Pilots or, or something like that, um, You'll start to see bows or, or light speeds or, or something like that. Um, occasionally, uh, you'll see some, some DCs. Uh, they may or may not be uh, noise reduction. Generally, though, you're looking at you know the back of the airplane, uh, maybe even in the cargo hold or something like that for, for people wearing the DCs. Um, my story, I, I, I bought my first headset like 30 years ago. It was a um, one of these lightweight in the ear uh, types, um, and just a little bud that went in one ear, and the other ear was open uh, to to ambient noise. And it was about that time that these little foam earplugs that you see for fairly ubiquitously now in in, in noisy environments uh, became available. It be- became available very cheap, and uh, being the enterprising lad that I was at the time. Um, I just poked a hole in one of those foam earplugs and glued it to the, the tube that provides sound to the earpiece on that on that headset. It was a Telex uh, headset, and stuck it in my ear, and it worked great. Quieted stuff down and everything. Put a real uh, uh, on a, uh, earplug in the other ear, and, and I went flying. And it, it worked really well for a number of years for me. It was lightweight um, at the time. The 
the main reason I was getting a headset was I was getting my instrument rating, and I didn't have enough hands to to deal with microphones and and uh, uh, OBS knobs and, and flying the airplane and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today, I, I I just cannot envision a scenario unless you're in just a very very simple airplane uh, where uh, a headset is not um, um, I won't say uh, necessary, but it certainly solves a lot of problems and makes so much uh, of your flying experience better. But back in the in the late '90s, mid '90s, I guess, when uh, uh, all the uh, the the A and R technology came to the fore, I started buying um, uh, some of the Lightspeed headsets. And at one point, I had uh, four of them for the airplane. Um, and uh, some of them, you know, obviously got more use than some of the others. I upgraded it along the way. Um, nowadays, uh, I still have some of the old uh, light speeds. I think they're called, uh, okay, I don't know, KX or Ks or I don't know what the XLs. Or I, I forget what the, they're fairly old. They're no longer uh, manufactured by, uh, by light speed. But I've got now uh, a Bose X, which is, uh, you know, maybe a 10-year-old model. Uh, and a uh, Lightspeed Zulu. Um, and I, I don't see a whole lot of difference uh, between the two of them. Um, the, uh, to me, the Bose has a little bit better sound quality. Just uh, It's hard to, hard to identify. The, the sound just seems a little bit richer, a little bit uh, uh, the tonal capabilities, tonal aspects of it, I just I, I think just seem to be a little bit better, a little bit more full, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, the Zulu, on the other hand, is possibly um, uh, a little bit more comfortable to wear. Okay. Uh, and I'll switch off between the two of them, uh, you know, depending on how I feel. Uh, but they basically do the same thing. Um, they basically were priced about the same at the time. Um, nowadays, both of both Bose and Lightspeed have come out with uh, uh, newer models. Um, I forget what Bose calls theirs. Uh, Lightspeed calls theirs a Zulu too. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to me, those those are kind of the, the the market leaders, if you will. Sennheiser makes a, a good headset. Uh, David Clark always makes a good headset. They, to my way of thinking, and I've I've done some tests, although it's it's been a few years. Uh, did some side-by-side comparisons with some of these, and um, uh, David Clark never really has um, gotten their um, A&R circuitry and capabilities to the same level as uh, some of the other manufacturers in my book. Uh, they, but they're all quality headsets. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, um, what, what floats your boat? And the the over-the-ear versus in-the-ear debate or, or dilemma or choice um, uh, depending on your ear size, uh, you may or may not be able to find an over-the-ear headset uh, that works well for you. Mm-hmm. Depending on the on the cup design, size of your ear, the shape of your ear, the shape of the cup, in which case you can certainly you know consider going to the in-the-ear type. I um, the thing I like so much about the in-the-ear type and the, the setup that I had it was, it was just very very lightweight. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, even the the uh, the Bose or the or the Zulu these days, you know, I'll, halfway into a three or four hour flight, I'll I might take it off r- briefly and just rub my ears or just reposition it a little bit. But uh, it's they're not uncomfortable. They're, you certainly are aware you're wearing them, um, but um, um, I, I don't see any other drawbacks. And one one final note here. A lot of people, especially early on when A&Rs came out, uh, oh, my God, you know, I can't wear that. I'll, I won't be able to hear what's going on in the airplane. 
Uh, you know, I won't, I won't hear the stall warner. I won't hear uh, 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 passengers or, or anything like that. And, and that's, I think, over time been, been proven to be just kind of, kind of an old wives' tale. It's certainly, certainly a bogus thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, yeah. experience, my experience, you hear better. You hear the external noises better because they're not as muffled uh, and uh, uh, there's not that, uh, uh, the, uh, I don't know, the A&R circuitry will certainly pick up those momentary transitory noises where it will, you know, kind of suppress the, lo- the, the uh, longer-term droning noises. Uh, so that should not be a bother to you if you're considering an A&R headset for the first time. Um, to my way of thinking, it's, it's just about as required as, as current charts uh, for the kind of flying idea to have a good A&R headset. It, it uh, uh, prevents fatigue. Um, and you can hear things better. And with you know the modern intercoms that we have now, and, and portable music devices, you can always take some entertainment with you and, and, and plug it in, and, and not have to listen to ATC all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. so thanks yeah, to you, uh, you, I'm sorry, David. Finish well, it up. Just a quick Jeb's conversation about the uh, or comments about the not, people worrying about not being able to hear things in the engine. I heard a lot of that in the early years and in talking to the companies that produced the early ones it was really clear that the the systems weren't really designed to blank anything more than the uh, uh, very high decibel low frequency noise that comes from the exhaust and the props uh, which pretty much doesn't touch everything else. Right. Right. It doesn't touch stuff in the conversation frequencies and the radio, you know, in the the audio frequencies that we hear, uh, stall warning horns, uh, any other alerts, uh, that voice that says, traffic, traffic. Are you going to hear all of that? (laughs) Terrain, terrain. (laughs) And if you're really worried about not hearing the stall warning, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> true, too. That's probably true. Uh, thank you to listener Aviation Junkie for the question. Uh, uh, we are having fun with these questions, so send some more. And uh, yeah, they don't those. necessarily have to be aviation-related. You know, you could ask us a question about something else. You know, Quantum maybe, physics. Jack's really good with that. I know, huh? I know. So EAA is selling some of their stuff. Did you see this story? Uh, this is a, looking at a story from the airventure.org uh, website. Uh, this has been on the list for a little while, so it's probably not the newest story. But uh, they, uh, EAA cracks open the vault, aviation treasures for sale. I have mixed feelings about this story. I do, too. I do, too. Uh, yeah, you I know, agree. Um, part of it's cool because there are certainly some people out here in the world that will treasure these things and do great things with them and it's better for them to have them than for them to be sitting in a in a uh, you know you know the well of the souls uh we were talking about last week or um you know or that storage place with all the wooden crates uh on the other hand in my view one of the great missions that EAA has performed over the years is to preserve this stuff and uh, and and I come to trust them to preserve them um even if it means they're in dead storage for a while so uh so i have mixed feelings about this what is that does that kind of express your concerns as well yeah that's that's kind of in the same ballpark uh and it, it also bears pointing out here that this isn't the first time eaa has winnowed out some of its uh collectible uh hardware uh, a close friend of mine, Doug Jackson, uh, uh, here in Wichita, flies a highly uh, cosmetically altered T6 
that was uh, modified to play a starring role in the uh, Hollywood movie Tora, Tora, Tora. Uh, it looks like a zero at first glance in flight. Uh, and it bears a lot of the uh, common traits, physical traits, but that was because of the work that was done for the movie. This airplane used to belong to EAA. And it used to be some of the World War II hardware that Paul and some of his co-board uh, uh, members and, and co-founders would, uh, and others would pull out and fly during Oshkosh uh, and put on display during Oshkosh. And when they started doing the museum uh, and the uh, Pioneer Airport, uh, you know, there was a realization that they had more stuff than they could possibly put on display in a reasonable amount of time and to focus on stuff that was really of historical value. So that Tora 101 airplane was one of many airworthy airplanes that went out the door at a fairly nice price. And my buddy Doug picked it up, and he's been flying with a Tora squadron, a uh, little group of reenactors ever since. Uh, but not all of this is is so rare or historically significant that they can't afford to let it go, like, say, the uh, pallet full of C-47 benches. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's uh, probably, but... Uh, here's, a, here's an original condition ejection seat from a uh, McDonnell Douglas F4 Phantom II. That would be kind of cool to, just to have around the house as an easy chair if you did it right. Yeah, or it in the really hangar. Would. In the it hangar, would be the yeah. one to put the insurance sales guys in. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> here, sit here. <laughs> that door-to-door uh, solicitor that, you know, you, 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 you're just feeling a little evil that day and... Here, sit here. I'd love to hear it. Let me get my. Uh, let, let me get us both a coffee. And uh, what do you like before you're ejected? Yeah, yeah. From the uh, AirVenture.org story, it says countless aviation items will be available to buy when we open up the EAA AirVenture Museum surplus shop to the public for the very first time at AirVenture next month. Quote: The AirVenture Museum is opening EAA's attic to reduce the overwhelming overwhelming size of our stored artifact collection," said Jeff Skiles, EAA's vice president uh, for chapters and youth education. We're giving our members a chance to purchase some truly historic items. And so apparently they're going to. Uh, this is going to be in the museum. Apparently it's part of the. It's sort of near the one, another cool exhibit in the museum, which is Paul Porberesny's airplane factory uh, exhibit. Um, the well, no, actually maybe I'm, I'm thinking of something else that's here. No, yeah, that's not near the museum, dude. Located in the same building as Paul Porberesny's airplane factory. What building is that, David? It's over by Guest Services near the Red Barn. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Oh, that's. Oh, all right. Pass. It's. Yeah, it's past the, uh, the guest services area. When it says it's south of the EAA theater, they're talking about the blow-up theater. So it's uh, sort of in the vicinity of the uh, the current location of the fly market. Uh, yeah, I believe so. It's over there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Some cool stuff. And it's going to open up at 10 a.m. on Monday, July 23rd, which is, not coincidentally, the first day of Air Venture 2012. So, uh, so. Go buy some stuff, especially buy it if you're you're one of those people who will be passionate about it, you know, and uh, um, make sure it stays in good hands. And Airfax magazine has this uh, interesting piece: uh, eleven things you must do with your pilot's license. Now, of these eleven things, about oh, I don't know, you know, eight of them are duh, all right. Um, you know, they're truly things you should do, but they're kind of obvious things. You know, hundred dollar Hamburg flight. Uh, 
uh, let's see now, take, well, you know, these are not earth-shaking things, let's put it that way. These are kind of like just a good basic list of, you know, if you haven't done these things, you you should, you know. <laughs> Night flight over a city, that's true, very, very pretty, very, yeah. very pretty. Um, flying a tail dragger off of a grass strip, absolutely, couldn't agree more. Uh, take a kid for his or her first flight, that's, you know, absolutely, not only a kid, take a person. Mm-hmm. Um, take a grown-up for their first flight. Uh, Which is not hard to do. Take anybody for their first flight. Yeah, right? yeah, you know, um, and uh, I, a lot of people are hot about uh, um, taking the media for flights, you know. I mean, you, you know, find a local reporter who's who, who, you know, is in a position to write occasionally about aviation and make sure they've been up in an airplane and they've been hanging around the airport and that they know you're around as a, as a resource, you know. That's, you know, kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with taking kids for... Uh, for their first flight, uh, go on a flying family vacation. I guess so. It's kind of obvious. If, well, maybe not obvious, but uh, low and slow cross country in the fall. That's for sure true. I know it's certainly up here in the Northeast where the the, the foliage gets so gorgeous. Um, although I, my experience has been that that the foliage doesn't look as good from the air as it does from the ground. I think it's because you're just further away from it. It's kind of all blends together. It's certainly pretty, and it's prettier than than you know the green or gray of the green of the summer or gray of the winter. But well, uh, it, that that's a time of day sensitive flight, right? Well, I mean, you can't true. take a night flight in the daytime, and a scenic flight over landscape and vegetation uh, in an airplane. Uh, uh, follow the same rule as I would apply if I was doing a photo mission for someone. Uh, first 90 minutes, last 90 minutes of the day. Uh, and the first 60 minutes are going to be the most optimal, and the last 60 minutes are going to be the most optimal in terms of just how gorgeous things look in natural light. Uh, the closer you get to midday, the flatter and the, the, the more stark and, and featureless everything looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, fly, let's see now, fly low and slow, but low and slow, that would be the key. I, I confess I haven't yeah. done a low and slow over the fall foliage. Um, I've, I've done it both ways, and, and the the um, the at altitude at cruise speed kind of, of foliage spotting gives you a great panoramic view of of uh, how the foliage is changing and all the different colors and, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, the lower and slower version of that gives you a lot more detail and uh, allows you to see perhaps you know uh, some more contrast of, of different colors along with green meadows and, and mm-hmm. things like that. Maybe depending on your area, you know there might be some mountains and rocks and things like that involved. Um, but it's it's definitely a worthwhile thing, you know, any any time. Yeah, I you know I agree with that completely because I I know for example that although I haven't flown low and slow over the fall foliage. A couple winters ago, um, I got uh, uh, two low and slow rides while I was down there visiting you, Jeb. I got to ride right. in, the, in the Champ, mm-hmm. where we were putting around at 500 feet or 700 feet or something like that. And then, uh, I think it was later that same week, I, uh, Amy took me for a ride in the Kit Fox, and we also mm-hmm. putted around low and slow. Um, and... Uh, and and simply comparing, you know, like you say, a th- cruising at three thousand, five thousand feet versus putting around at five hundred feet, even just on a regular, you know, summer day or you know, green, green foliage day, it's amazing how different it is. Being mm-hmm. down low like that is just a whole different experience, you know. Um, there are, well, it is. are, you know, in, in, in your, you know, 
you know, I'm not being critical when I say this. It's just uh, you like to look at the ground go by. Yeah, I do. You like to look, you know, at, at things going. What city is that? And and gee, isn't that an interesting, you know, confluence of highways or, or something like Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I totally, I totally get all that. Um, um, when I'm trying to go somewhere, though, I want to go to altitude and, yeah. and um, you know, get get moving and, and stay there. Right. Obviously, yes, you're absolutely right. Two different kinds of flying. Yeah, and, uh, yeah absolutely. So, anyways. Well, some of the most spectacular uh, vistas that I, I can remember flying, uh, is something I don't think we've touched on, is uh, after snowstorms. Mm-hmm. The landscape mm-hmm. after a, a big snowstorm. Uh, cruise, you know, a thousand feet or so, and look at what wind and light do to shape and shadow and shade the snow. Uh, for example, you might find big, look like arrows of almost no snow on the on the downwind side of objects when the snow has been uh, hmm. when has fallen during high winds. Uh, you'll see a little eddy built up behind it, and then uh, uh, an area behind it where it's almost snow-free, and they're very distinctive because they all point in the direction the wind was going. Uh, or knocked knocked our socks off. We had a a couple of night flights a few years ago, where uh, the entire trip was over uh, a landscape that was snow-covered, and it was a night flight, and we had a full moon. And it was amazing how you could keep turning down and turning down the cockpit lights to the point where we really didn't have any for a while. And let your eyes adjust and see how bright and detailed a snow-covered landscape looks at night when you got a full moon off of it. Because the light's a unique quality, that moonlight coming off white snow. Uh, It just... It, it actually made a route that we'd flown way too many times uh, uh, fresh and interesting all over again. The, the the entire three and a half hours was like, wow, it just kept changing with every mile, it seemed. Yeah, mm-hmm. sounds cool. Yeah. Sounds cool. Next, yeah, I, I, I'm I'd sorry, Jeb, that. go ahead. Yeah, No, 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 I, I'd echo that. So, night flying to me is um, some of the more satisfying. Um, um, the air is smoother. Uh, the frequencies are quieter. Uh, you can see traffic, you know, much better. For example, oh uh, yeah. But, but flying over cities or or uh, even flying cross countries where uh, you know there's a there's a glow on the horizon and it and it's slowly or you know, quickly depending, uh, you know, turns into uh, some detail and turns into a big city, uh, or, or just flying over you know remote areas of the country where you know you, you, you can't see a whole lot on the ground at all. You just kind of wonder well. What is down there? What? Who is down there? What are they doing? Uh, uh, you see a light here and there, and you still, you know, still see some glows on the horizon that are, you know, big cities or even just small, smaller towns. Um, and the stars and the moon and yeah, it's, it's night flying to me is just really, uh, really special. Yeah. Next item on the list here: uh, fly an actual instrument flight. This is an interesting suggestion. He, he writes, uh, even if you do, is it? I'm sorry, is it? I shouldn't assume it's a he. It's. Uh, John Zimmerman created this list, yeah, okay. Uh, He says, even if you don't earn an instrument rating, you owe it yourself to fly a real approach in IMC. And then he quickly points out, parenthetically, with a pilot who has the rating. Mm -hmm. Uh, He says, flying through the featureless gray clouds for an hour and then seeing the runway lights appear in the windshield is a high that most drugs cannot match. It's just about magic, he writes. You agree, agree, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, It's... 
I, I don't think he you, could say it any better than what he just did. Yeah, right? yeah. There's there's two things, two or three things going on there. One is he correctly identifies the uh, the magic of uh, you know this runway and runway lights and the runway environment materializing out of a cloud, uh, and that is very special. It's especially cool uh, when you take you know a passenger for the first time uh, with you on an instrument flight, and they're like, "How did you do that?" You know, how do you know oh, yeah. that that runway's right there? How do you, you know how they don't they don't get it? And and you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, perhaps on their far, their part, maybe a little bit of fear. But uh, uh, what I wanted to, what I want to try to instill in them is awe. Uh, and to me, it is awe inspiring. It's awe. Uh, it's an awesome thing to uh, to be able to to fly the airplane to that point. Uh, hopefully, you know, right side up, and, and nothing gets broken, and all that kind of thing. But to me, that's just a very, very, very cool thing to do. One of the coolest things you can do in an airplane is to, to get that instrument rating and, and be able to shoot an approach to a runway where you can't see it until the last minute. Yeah. David? Uh, yeah. yeah I, uh, the number of times where the cross country, the only sight of the ground was on climb out and then breaking out on final and having the runway be exactly where it's supposed mm-hmm. to be, mm-hmm. plus or minus a few feet left or right. Uh, it's like the, the, it hit me the first couple of times I did this just how spectacular it must have been to be involved in inventing the techniques and the system right. that makes this work. Mm. You know, I mean, there's a few fundamentals here that everything else is built around. The stand the genius of the standard rate turn idea and a turn indicator that shows you that you're at standard rate regardless of your airspeed, no matter how fast or slow you're going, it's showing you the same two minute turn, and everything builds off of that. And then the invention of the ground based systems that you know the the localizers, the ILSs, the the non directional beacons, and 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 it just goes from there. Uh, it's like the man said, it's just magic. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, finishing up this guy's list, uh, uh, it's, he says, fly something different. He says, get outside your comfort zone. Take a lesson in an aircraft you've never been in. Um, yeah, fly I, something I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah well, that's hard. But, that's uh, uh, yeah, fly something different. I, I, the most recent um, time I got out of my comfort zone was when I did the uh, acro flying last summer. And uh, and it still is kind of buzzing in my head. It's a very cool experience. And uh so, yeah, I agree with that completely. Uh, fly different kinds of airplanes. You guys have any thoughts to add to that? Um, no. yeah. Not on that one. I, I, would, I would add in different types of aircraft. Um, um, go for a hot air balloon ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, get, some, you know, get some glider time. Um, seaplane versus land plane. Yep. A helicopter, if, if uh, you, you can find the right situation. Um, you know, broaden that horizon a little bit, and, and you might find a whole different kind of flying that you, you, you really enjoy. Or if you get to the point where the kind of flying you're, you're normally doing has lost its, uh, its magic, you can, you can find some more of that magic uh, doing something else, and maybe it'll, it'll help uh, uh, you preserve your, your original kind of flying. Yeah, log some time in a uh, big batch of balloons, right? You can... A big batch of balloons, yeah. yeah. And uh, He says, uh, number nine, go to the Bahamas or Mexico. Um, ding, 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 ding. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I haven't done these things, but I've heard you guys talk about them, and it sounds great. Uh, David, what, what was your experience? Uh, we did the Caribbean first to Grand Cayman, and then six months later did a, a, a long trip through Mexico that 
culminated in Cancun and then going home. Uh, Senior Capitan Higdon, right? That's right. Uh, all of the predictions and 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 uh, cautionaries, you, you know, proved pretty much to be the uh, uh, like the people that were afraid A and R headsets would make them deaf uh, to all the other sounds. They, they're pretty much ungrounded. Huh? What say what? Uh, but it was uh, they were great experiences. Uh, advanced preparation is is really mandatory here because in some places you've got to file. 24 hours in advance that you're going to be passing through their airspace. Uh, but it's a great experience. Uh, you get treated really well in most of these places when you arrive in your own airplane. Uh, being invited to have a drink at the FBO bar at Cancun Airport was one of the more eye-openers for this GA pilot. Ah, uh, Senor Capitan, these uh, are vouchers for drinks for your passengers. Uh, <laughs> as soon as your paperwork, uh, here's one for you. What? Okay. A full bar in an FBO. Well, Sign me up. I want to do flight instruction there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing because I think that will go down in history as the world's worst Mexican accent right there. That was... I, I, uh, the El Capitan thing is okay, but I, I, shouldn't it be like El, El Piloto Loco? Yeah. <laughs> and in uh, Yeho Tequila, just, just stick with the Yeho. Yeah, you never yeah. go wrong. The final so. item on this guy's list is attend EAA AirVenture at Oshkosh. And uh, it's pretty obvious that we agree with that one. Um, yeah. And uh, looking forward to it. Anybody who hasn't been to Oshkosh, I mean, we kind of bab- blather about this, babble about this. Um, but uh, it, it, I don't think most pilots really can grasp what it's like until you've been there at least once. I've, yeah, I've had the, you ain't been, you don't know. Yeah. I've had the great fortune of, of flying in to Oshkosh, three different individuals, all of whom were pilots, but had never been there before. And, <laughs> this. and to a person, they were all like, oh, my God. Uh, uh, on one flight, I had two of them with me. We landed on runway nine at Oshkosh during the show. The, the North 40 was full. And you talk about noses pressed up against the glass. That's exactly what it was. The, it took them hours just to just to uh, uh, assimilate the, the size and the scope. The the, the third gentleman, um, uh, multi thousand hour airline pilot, et cetera, et cetera. And we landed at, in this instance in Appleton and drove down. And I'm negotiating the the on ramps, off ramps, and everything like that to to get into into the um, get off of the the interstate there and, and get on to the, the main the local roads there to get into the feelings and he's he's looking around his head on a swivel and and all this is jeb i don't want to distract you from what you're doing right now but there's a tri-motor right behind us you know? <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like yes david i know i, yeah. I, I get it I, i've done this before and, and i'm just laughing my ass off you know literally and figuratively about the whole yeah, no, I agree. Thanks, um, but, um, I was, and I'm sure I was the same way. But it's that magic of of realization and uh, 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 just oh my God, where did all this come from? Yeah, kind of realization that you just really have to be there to witness to believe. Yeah, no, oh, that I took uh, a, a friend of our family's, uh, uh, Bob and his wife Carolyn. Bob's an inactive GA pilot, former aircraft owner. Uh, took them to Oshkosh with me a few years ago. Uh, they had a wedding to go to in Green Bay and family to visit in Chicago. So 
they were going to come up with me, spend a couple of days at the air show, but basically be gone the rest of the time. When we landed, it was Thursday before opening day, and there was next to nothing on the field except this Antonov 225 that was getting ready to depart. Uh, that kind of got their attention. They left. They came back uh, a little over 48 hours later, and they take the off-ramp from the U.S. highway that brings you over and looking straight down runway 9 toward Lake Winnebago. Right. And it's airplanes to the horizon. Yep. And they call me on the cell phone and want to meet me for a drink. And the first words are, where did they all come from and how did they all get here? It's only been two days. And yeah. it's like, yeah, and there's more coming tomorrow. You'll get to see the tail end of the show. Yeah. That's that that place that both of you just described is one of my favorite uh, moments arriving at Oshkosh by car is uh, is as you come up that off ramp off the uh, off the uh, U.S. highway there and uh, you reach a point where you suddenly can look straight down the North 40 down down runway nine. And uh, it's uh, it's a very, very cool moment, especially if there are a lot of airplanes there. But I've found it to be a cool place, even when it's empty of airplanes. It has a feeling yeah. to it all the time. Um, I visited Oshkosh one time a month before the fly in. And spent stayed one night there in the same Super 8 where we stayed around the fly-in. And, uh, and, and obviously had to walk out to the fence. You can't get through that gate. They have it padlock chained um, during the rest of the year. Hmm. But, uh, um, but you walk up to that fence and you look out onto the North 40. And even with no airplanes there, it, there's a, a feeling there. There's a, I, I only half-jokingly have said a number of different times that you walk up to that point and you get this feeling of the force is strong in this place. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You, you hear the voices, you see the, the yeah. metal images, you, you hear the noise, you uh, smell the smells. Yeah. Um, yeah. I so if you've that. never been to AirVenture, you got to go. Um, uh, and I'm going to plug what we're, I'm just about to do our UCAP plug here, but I should point out that if you want to get a feeling for what AirVenture is like, uh, as of right now, the satellite image of, of uh, the Whitman Airport area that's part of Google Maps was taken during the fly-in. And so you can uh, go and look at the satellite image in Google Maps of, uh, of Oshkosh and see thousands of airplanes parked on the ground uh it's it's a cool image and uh you can spend a lot of time exploring it and uh and uh swell prize for anybody who can tell us what day and day approximate time this picture was taken um i believe it's possible to identify it just from looking at the pictures mm -hmm. i agree uh ucap will be at oshkosh again we're looking forward to it and uh, again yeah, and who the uh, hell approved that? I don't know, but man, we've got ourselves into it this time. I'll tell you right now. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, first and certainly not least, is that uh, the three of us, uh, along with James and, and other good friends, will be writing for the Air Venture Today newspaper. And so, uh, although that's not podcast related, that's something that uh, it's how we all met, and uh, mm -hmm. and we look forward to it every year. Uh, urge you folks when you're there on the grounds to make sure you pick up that free daily newspaper every morning and uh, get a get a, a cool view onto. To, uh, what happened yesterday and what's happening today and uh, and, and coming up tomorrow and yeah it is one of the great value it's one of the great many great values that are yeah, absolutely that are and mm -hmm. and unlike a lot of show dailies and and not to demean other show dailies but but lots of times show dailies are written in advance and and a lot of the material is just kind of canned almost if you will um a lot if not all of air venture today is written on site on the spot you know the day you know it was written the day before you're reading it you know it was written yesterday so to speak and uh so you get a real view of what's really happening at air venture by reading air venture today so make sure you check that out but the podcast is going to be there too 
And uh, we're going to be doing a number of different things. First of all, we'll be recording three full episodes of the podcast during the week there, uh, a little more than a week um, at AirVenture. How do you know when they're full? Uh, Is there a needle? I mean, you know, they burp. It means, okay, what what full episodes means that they're full-blown, you know, 90-minute episodes as opposed to the UCAP dailies that we do as well, which are shorter, 10, 15 minutes. The full episodes will be on, uh, we'll be recording one on Monday afternoon starting at approximately 6 o'clock. We'll be doing that through the facilities of EAA Radio. Our good friends over there uh, are hosting us again. And uh, that will be broadcast live on uh, EAA Radio's airwaves. It will also be streamed on their uh, their, their uh, audio internet stream of the, uh, of the radio station. And uh, we will, of course, package it up and put it into the podcast feed uh, within a day or two after that. That's Monday at 6. We'll also be recording it up through EA Radio on closing day, Sunday morning, starting at 10 a.m. Um, that one will probably be, weather permitting, will be out on the front deck at uh, EA Radio up on the second level. And we're trying to make arrangements so that people can um, can actually, a few people have always come and set up their lawn chairs down on the ground in front of that deck and listen on their personal radios and whatnot. And uh, we're trying to arrange for there to be good sound reinforcement down there so people can hear and we can interact with the crowd. Um, that may well turn out to be a special episode episode. So uh, um, you might want to plan to be around on uh, Sunday morning there uh, with us and watch the airplanes depart on that final day. Um, I won't say much more than that, except do the math, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, we're also doing a full-blown episode. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to do a full-blown episode as part of the uh, EAA Welcome Center stage, uh, which is what we've done for the last few years. But the scheduling just became impossible, and so we weren't able to do that this year. But we are yeah, going to... Re- we- we all have jobs during the day. Yeah, that, that, that schedule is kind of uh, time sensitive. Yeah, so yeah. so we aren't able to do that from the welcome center stage, but we are going to record a full blown episode, sort of with an audience uh, at our our uh, party, the tie down, the UCAP tie down party, which will be on Thursday evening from six approximately, well, starting at six till eight or so, um, and uh, we're going to get some lineys and some soft drinks and uh, probably some, you know, I don't know. Uh, 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 cheesy poofs and things like that, and uh, and just cheesy in, poofs. Yeah, yeah. Cheesy poofs. Cheesy poofs, man. Cheesy. And uh, and invite people Cartons over. Just come favorite. on over and uh, and hang out with us. Uh, almost certainly going to hold this in the same location we have in the past few years over there at the uh, so-called Super Eight Gate, the uh, the pedestrian gate uh, over in the northwest corner of the airport, uh, right next to the Super Eight Hotel, and we'll be just outside the airport grounds and uh, uh, with our with our tailgate. Uh, full of beer and soft drinks and uh, we're going to set up our recording gear and and record an episode there as well and probably have some of our special guest friends there uh, to join us for that episode Mm -hmm. and for the beer so uh, that's thursday uh, starting at six the recording will probably start around seven and then finally, we're going to be doing a UCAP daily uh, every day during the uh, during the fly-in. Uh, in the past, we've only done them on days when we didn't do full episodes, but they're so popular, and I personally have such a good time doing them that we're going to do a daily every day. And uh, lots of UCAP dailies telling you, giving the flavor of uh, of visiting that's, that's, AirVenture. That's why they're called dailies, right? Yeah, that's what. Well, yeah, but you get the idea. Anyways, that's what's going on for UCAP stuff at uh, at AirVenture. Uh, if you're a Twitter person, make sure you're following myself and Jeb, and who knows, we might even get David on there before by the time we, we get out there. And uh, keep an eye on the uh, UCAP uh, uh, homepage, the uncontrolledairspace.com homepage for, for notifications and stuff. 
and uh, and you might even want to watch my blog aroundthefield.net for uh, for updates. So lots of stuff that we're involved with. I think that's everything. Have I missed anything? Mm-mm. No. Air Venture 2012. It's going to be fun. Be there. Yeah. Absolutely. We will. Yeah. Definitely time to stick a fork in this one. I think we're done. Uh, and uh, thanks for getting up early. Thanks for <laughs> once we all remembered how one way or another that we were getting together at 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, uh, it, it was, as always, a lot of fun talking with you guys. Uh, one of those voices there, Dave Higdon, is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, you've been working on anything you want to tell us about? Uh, Yeah. But I have to tell you about them later. Okay. And that's Jeb Burnside. He's a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. How about you, Jeb? Anything you've been working on you Pre- want to talk pretty about? Pretty much the same as, as Dave. Um, uh, I haven't really had a chance to uh, turn in anything or or make sure that it's um, um, as I left it, shall we say. I see. Yeah, so uh, coming on the heels of Friday yeah. as it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah right. Uh, but uh, I, I'll, I'll say this. I'm, I'm working on a piece for uh, AEA's uh, uh, Avionics News um, and uh, getting settling in uh, this week to crank out another issue of Aviation Safety Magazine. So talk to me in a few days, and we'll know a little bit more about how all this came out. Okay. Jeb, and in, and in general, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, jeburnside.com, um, obviously uncontrolledairspace.com, um, aviationsafetymagazine.com, aea.net, sometimes avweb.com. Which reminds me, I, I meant to say something earlier in this episode. Dave uh, re- re- told the tale of, of his doing the uh, surgery on his David Clark headsets to convert them to A&R. Somewhere in the bowels of avweb is the feature story that he wrote. Uh, with the photographs uh, of that that whole uh, uh, evolution, that whole process, because I was the editor at the time, and I remember putting that up. So somewhere out there, it, it exists. We'll see if we can find a link and yeah. uh, and put it in the show notes. And uh, wow, you're right. I I completely blanked on that. Yeah, and and I'm sure that the, our friends at Abweb are pleased that you refer to it as the bowels of Abweb, but that's uh, another thing altogether. <laughs> somewhere somewhere in the in the depths of the 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 uh, well, okay, Abweb's attic. How's that? <laughs> I was going to say, say EAA's attic, AvWeb's attic. The rich and fascinating archive of past AvWeb articles. Well, I'll tell you well, what, that's, that was so timely that it allowed for a Google search so specific that I'm sending Jack the link. Oh, okay, cool. Cool. And David, while you're doing that, uh, where in general can people find you on the internet? Oh, uh, well, let's see. Avbuyer.com, I show up there quite a bit. Uh, AEA.net, I'm pretty much a regular. Oh, and speaking of AEA, uh, those of you that come to Oshkosh, be sure and look for the AEA booth uh, in uh, the exhibit hangers, the commercial hangers, and pick up your own copy of the Pilot's Guide to Avionics uh, for 2012-2013, which will be handed out there free by the Aircraft Electronics Association folks. I think I've got a little work in it. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Mr. Burnside did as well. I I think I do, too. Yeah, that's the bright yellow Mm -hmm. spiral-bound thing. That's uh, a a kind of a must-do kind of thing for me each year uh, on one level because um, there's always something new and interesting um, in, in the world of avionics there's always something new and interesting in that in that uh, in that book it's a great reference uh, if you don't understand an acronym or you don't understand a technology or something like that chances are it'll be explained there 
Uh, but it's also a great reference, you know, collect the whole set kind of thing in that uh, they do this each year, and each year uh, things have changed. Yeah, and they you, they you go back. It. Yeah, you you go back and and look at one that you've ha- held on to for four or five years, and note how the technology has evolved. Uh, and and we yeah we are making progress. How about that? Yeah. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, check out my Kindle eBooks at uh, uh, at uh, Amazon.com. Uh, look for Amazon.com/author/JackHodgson, and also you can read my uh, new, uh, uh, growing, blossoming, uh, relaunched blog at AroundTheField.net. Tonight on a very special issue of Blossom. <laughs> Big thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes and for the help that he gives us with the forums and a whole bunch of other things. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Roy Searle and Jim Goldman and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? Well, I had a question. I wonder how long and deep this uh, uh, fixation with Blossom has lasted with Jeb. But otherwise, hey, live long, be happy, go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. I got your long and deep right here. <laughs> My opinion flying breaks all the laws of physics. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. I'm Stephen Hawking, but you knew that. The sum of the squares of the legs of a right triangle is equal to the square of the hypotenuse. The sum of the squares of the legs of the sum of the squares 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 the sum of 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 the squares the sum of the squares of the legs of a right triangle is equal to the square of the hypotenuse.